Hello, and thank you for joining us on Building Greatness the Warrior Way, a Westcliff University Athletics podcast. As always, I'm joined by our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yay, yay. And I'm Sherm Dog, David Shermet, the head baseball coach at Westcliff University. Well, once again, for everyone out there listening, thank you for joining us. We have a repeat performance, and we are always very fortunate when our prior guests come back and uh, are on the podcast a second time. And I don't know if those of you out there remember uh, Jamal Sylvester, who was on back in July. His story is an amazing one, and we got to scratch the surface a little bit with him. Uh, and today, hopefully, we can dive a little bit deeper into your background, talk a little bit about your book and what you're working on. Uh, Jamal, it's great to have you back. Thanks once again for joining us. Man, thanks for having me. Um, just to refresh a little bit, uh, first of all, you're in Indianapolis, and uh, you've had quite an interesting history, I guess you might say. Um, please refresh the memory of our listeners as to your basketball history growing up. You ran into some very difficult times. You've been in and out of school, and then eventually you just said, enough of this. I'm going to get on the straight and narrow. And uh, now you're influencing and affecting so many lives. Can you give us a little bit of, uh, of a background once again, or a refresher in your in your uh, history? Yes, sir. Uh, born and raised in, in Chicago, Illinois. And, uh, my, my first love was actually football. Oh. Uh, and people laugh because when they see me, I'm, you know, I'm a, a thin six, seven uh, uh, kid. So when, when I say that fo football was my first love, it, it typically gets a giggle out of people <laughs> because I don't have a football frame. But uh, when I was growing up in the in the eighties, uh, of course, the the Bears. We had our our eighty five Bears, but Walter Payton was it. Oh yeah, he was everything for me. Before Michael Jordan, it was Walter Payton. So yep, yep. I wanted to be like Sweetness, uh, and so we played football all the time. Uh, but I began to, uh, as I began to get older, uh, things happened uh, in my family structure, and uh, I was shipped to South Bend, Indiana, and Indiana is a basketball state, and so. I had to get on the bus and I ended up growing like six or seven inches uh, over the summer. And uh, my cousin, Andre Owens, was like, hey, man, he put the basketball in my hand and he kind of created a monster. So uh, <laughs> he he introduced me to it. Uh, I fell in love with it uh, and I began to perfect my craft and, and work on my game, which afforded me to become uh, an Indiana All-Star, uh, which is one of the most prestigious teams that you could be on here in Indiana uh, next to being Mr. Basketball, uh, which is the highest honor. Uh, that's the best basketball player in the state. Being on the Indiana all-star team comes at, uh, if Mr. Basketball is, is 1A, uh, then uh, the Indiana all-star team is, is a very close second or 1B. Uh, and I was one of the 12 players picked uh, in the state of Indiana to be on that team. That afforded me some looks from some Division I colleges. Uh, I had originally uh, signed to go to Kansas State uh, and uh, got back home. And uh, Rick Majerus, may he rest in peace, gave me a phone call late at night. Uh, and he wowed me over the phone. I had never stepped foot in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, never seen a team. Didn't know anything about Ball State besides them being the only team to play UNLV 
uh, close uh, in the 1990 NCAA tournament. Uh, that was their closest game. They only beat uh, Ball State by two points. And I was a UNLV fan. So mm. I was like, wow, this team played that close to my favorite team. Then maybe I want to go here because Kansas was far. We didn't have a car. We didn't have a lot of money. And I just figured I was going to be stuck in Manhattan, Kansas for four, four years. And I didn't want that. So I signed with Ball State, uh, went to Ball State. Uh, as you stated, uh, I had a, a pretty good career. I think anytime you can score over a thousand points and, and grab 500 rebounds, I think that that's a, a, a pretty, pretty cool career. Uh, and I was able to do so. Uh, but I had some some ups and downs. My freshman year, I got kicked off the team uh, for academics. Uh, of course, being immature, uh, I was solely focused on basketball and I was ready to play basketball uh, at the Division One level, but I wasn't ready to be a Division One student. Uh, and so when I wasn't playing, I, and me and my immature head thought that uh, because my coach didn't play me, I'm not going to go to class. And I thought that that would give me some playing time. Uh, and all it did was give me suspended uh, from the team for four games. Uh, sophomore year, uh, once again, immaturity, uh, away from home. Uh, my, my, my dorm phone had been cut off because I had ran my bill up uh, and I would go into the coach's office and ask the coaches to make phone calls for me so that I could call. Uh, sometimes family, but most times I would want to call, you know, really close friends or my girlfriend and uh, I would. Uh, memorized the coach's calling code. Uh, I was in every newspaper from here to Arizona. Uh, I, I ended up violating uh, NCAA violations. I had to pay back money. Uh, I got suspended another four games for that. Junior year, I started to figure things out. So I thought, uh, got it together. Uh, I played, it was the, uh, my first full season. I played the full season. Uh, was first team all-conference. Went to the NCAA tournament, played Kansas in Chicago, which was a cool thing for me because a lot of people uh, that I went to elementary school with didn't know uh, that I played basketball or that I had grew and, uh, you know, that uh, I was even in college playing. And so to go back home and play uh, in front of uh, family and friends was pretty cool. Came off the bench. I led the team in scoring coming off the bench. Uh, so for all of my, my guys who think starting – uh, it is important that I want to start. Yes. Uh, but my coach taught me that it's not who starts it's who finishes. And so I came off the bench, led the team in scoring was first team all conference. Uh, I was basketball weekly. Uh, I made the all Midwest team, uh, and had a fairly good season. Uh, went on going into my senior year. I'm preseason all first team all conference, a big man on campus. I'm ready. I'm like, it's my turn. I've waited three years. Uh, for this position and this responsibility. Senior year rolls around. I'm doing well, but the team is not doing well. Uh, and uh, on, on December uh, 19th, uh, no, December 16th, uh, in practice, uh, I ended up uh, getting into an altercation with a teammate of mine, uh, and I ended up punching him. And I, uh, on December, by December 19th, I was kicked off the team. Uh, at this time, I was 27th in the nation in scoring. Uh, in the uh, in NCAA scoring, and, and now I'm not on the team. Uh, I got sent back home to South Bend, uh, scared. Uh, you know, when when you're being told, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, nothing 
good ever comes out of uh, those words. So uh, I didn't know what was going on, uh, but I had uh, some people, uh, uh, Charles Martin, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, was a great, great man uh, in South Bend. And he advocated for a lot of youth uh, and he fought. Uh, he, I think he was a former Ball State alum or he was a Ball State alum, graduated from there, but he had some connections and ties uh, and he got with the NAACP and they fought and they got me back in school. But things changed. I went from quickly averaging 25 points a game to about 16. And now I'm losing my mind because I'm like, how am I going to get to the NBA overseas uh, averaging 16 points? Nobody's looking at me. Uh, and so I, I really... Uh, where I, I struggled my freshman year with academics, uh, I had begun to do well uh, my sophomore and junior year. But when I got into this trouble, uh, I lost focus uh, because now all I'm focusing on is basketball. Because I, for me, basketball was it for me. It had to work uh, because I knew what I would go back home to. Uh, and now I was I was losing it. And I was on academic probation. Uh, and uh, once I got back into school, I'm in the gym playing with, with some friends and uh, lo and behold, this, this attitude and this temper of mine got the best of me again. This is probably 45 days later uh, in the gym playing pickup games with some friends uh, and I'm going up for a dunk and, and one of the, the students uh, undercut me. Uh, and, you know, we had words uh, going up again for a dunk. He undercuts me again and uh, I muff him, but, uh, he said some things that triggered me and I ended up punching him. But this punch was a little bit different because uh, whereas uh, with my teammate, it was kind of like, go take a shower. You know, we'll 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 take care of it or we'll talk about it. This was a student uh, and this student ended up pressing charges uh, and filing a lawsuit against me and Ball State for a million dollars. And so uh, that punch costed me uh, everything and it forced me to leave school. I quit school. Uh, and as you talked about, uh, I had a 24 year hiatus uh, with school. Uh, and uh, before I finally was able to go back and complete what I started. Uh, and that's, you know, the story in a nutshell. Of course, there's a lot of other things that transpired in between that, but uh, that was uh, it for me. And that's what prompted me to begin to do the work that I do now with helping young people and dealing with, with, with young men and even young ladies uh, who grew up without their fathers, uh, who have, you know, bad te tempers or who've been brought up in circumstances that were uncontrollable. They, it, it wasn't something that they created. It was something that uh, whomever their parents or who, whomever the nurturing adults uh, who were caring for them, uh, put them in those environments. And so uh, I, I try to give back in that way because I know how much I took from my community and the people who uh, who poured into me. And so I feel like I owe, uh, and I, I wake up every day uh, with the mindset that if I can just change one person's life, uh, then I, I'm doing my job. Hmm. Okay. There is a lot going on there. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm writing down questions. I probably have a dozen questions on, on just about everything, and I don't even know where to start. There's so much going on. Let, let's, go, let's go back pretty far, though. Okay. Um, you said you were shipped to South Bend, Indiana, yep. and yeah, uh, which is a, a hotbed for sports, obviously. Um, but what was your before that? What was your? And I'm going to get a little personal here. Tell okay. me, tell me, go, tell me to go away if I hit the wrong chord. But what was the home life like? Was your father around much? 
Uh, no, he wasn't. Uh, my father had got incarcerated uh, okay. when I was about three or four. So he wasn't there. And so mom had dual duty. Uh, and that, that's that's why I can appreciate that she stepped up to the plate and did that. It, it's it's kind of unfair uh, to ask a, a woman, uh, whether it's your mom or not, to, to try to play both those roles. Yeah. Uh, but she did. Uh, and she had to be a provider as well. And so uh, she she wanted school was important to her. Uh, but when she has to be at work because she's working two jobs, uh, it's kind of hard to stay on, on top of your children, uh, you know, with, with the education piece of it. Because by the time she gets home, we're asleep and she's tired. Uh, yeah. And while I was a I was a, a great student uh, up until I got uh, into my teens, uh, because what what starts to happen is the things that you used to get uh, because of uh, the responsibility as we got older, uh, she had to work more because the responsibilities got more because now, you know, I'm no longer three foot three, I'm six foot two. And so those clothes cost a little more shoes cost a little more. Uh, but the things that I used to get as a reward for a good report card, I, I wasn't getting anymore. And so I did an experiment. It wasn't, it, it, I've been immature and irresponsible uh, for probably a good, good portion of my life. Uh, and so I thought once again, hey, well, maybe if I get all Fs, let's see what, what happens. And I got all Fs and it was the same thing. I got nothing. I got a whooping, but I didn't receive any rewards or anything. And so uh, school started to not be so important to me because I'm like, why, why get straight A's if I'm not going to get anything for it? And so uh, that was when I began to have my troubles and I began to hang hang around uh, friends uh, who uh, weren't going to school or who weren't doing things that I knew my mom uh, didn't uh, wouldn't approve of. So uh, she uh, one day came home and said, uh, I think I'm going to send you to your aunt. I thought it was going to be for the summer, uh, but it ended up being until I moved to Indianapolis in 2016. So I was in South Bend from uh, 1987 until uh, 2016, and it, it's home. Uh, Chicago will be where I was born, uh, and uh, uh, the early parts of my my years. And uh, I, I love Chicago for that, and I'll always claim Chicago, but I have to claim South Bend as well. So, okay. Uh, yeah. okay. How many siblings do you have? I have so I have two, three, four, wait, three, three blood sisters and and one blood brother. But when I moved to South Bend with my aunt, uh, she had her own kids and they were very young when I moved there. And so uh, those are my sisters now. So now I have a total of six uh, because we grew up together and okay. uh, we stopped calling ourselves cousins uh, <laughs> after about two or three years. Once they realized that I wasn't going back to Chicago, I became their brother and my aunt started calling me her son. And so okay. that's how we how we ended up uh, rocking and we still rock. So those are my sisters. So I have six and one brother. Wow. So did you take on the mentoring role? Of Absolutely. Your you did. Absolutely. Were you, and I started that you, early on uh, because I was, older? I've always been a big kid. So uh, I, I was babysitting at an early age uh, and because I would, I could stand over the stove. So I, I learned how to cook eggs and all of those things because I was so tall. And so, they would entrust me uh, with, with the younger siblings. And so uh, I've always been the big brother or, you know, just kind of like that, that model. Uh, and so 
that's a lot of responsibility put on a young person, man, when, when you don't have the skill sets or the tools to do it. But I did the best that I could and I tried to show them, uh, you know, the right way. But as I stated, uh, I've been irresponsible and immature for, for a large portion of, of my life. And so uh, they saw some things that they shouldn't have seen. And because it was me doing it, they felt like they, they could do it or they should do it because my big brother was doing it. Are you older than your siblings? Yes, I'm the oldest. Okay. So aside from the height factor, your mm-hmm. physical stature, because you were taller than most, uh, and th- the fact that you were older, you felt as though it's your responsibility to look after them. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I, but, and, and part of it was because I didn't have that done for me. Uh, so uh, the next oldest is, is four years uh, younger than me. So for four years, it was just me. And I didn't have, you know, a big brother. It was my cousins, you know, who were older than me that I hung around. But I always wanted a big brother. Uh, and so uh, I knew what I wanted. And I knew, kind of had an idea of what that would look like from other friends who had big brothers. And I watched their relationship. And so I wanted to be that to my to my younger sibling. Okay, got it. Um, it seems as though it was almost one step up and two steps back with you through your life meaning you'd make a little bit of progress and then there would be some self-destructive behavior that would take you backwards. Absolutely. <laughs> I think yeah. I became a, uh, I probably got a PhD in that, uh, <laughs> taking one step forward and two backwards. Yeah, because you had a, a variety of opportunities. You kept getting that second, third, fourth chance, and then you kept stepping backwards. And, and you you know, that's pretty well documented. You've detailed that. You've written about it. We're going to talk about your book in a little bit. Um, when when did you realize that, hey, the self-destructive stuff has to stop? When what Was there an, a moment, your aha moment that said, wait a minute, I got to make a change? And you made the change and never looked back. Was there a moment in your life where you just said, this is it. This is my opportunity to, to be the right guy and do the right thing? Man, it was, and, and, and it's sad to say, but we're being open and honest today because I, I want to be able to help current, former athletes, uh, people who uh, may be in this situation who are not athletes. But for me, it's sad to say it wasn't until probably early to mid-30s before I finally the light finally came on mm. uh, because of all of the opportunities. I think uh, opportunities are great, but sometimes for certain type of people, and I'm one of those certain type of people, Sometimes having too many opportunities is a bad thing uh, because it doesn't force you. It it allows you to kind of pick and choose and you can kind of delay and be content and get complacent because I got all of these options. So it was kind of like, hmm, I can do this. And even if I don't fully commit to that, I know that I got eight other opportunities or options. So I don't have to put my all into that because I know I got something else over here. And I think that's what hindered me. But I think the one thing that probably changed everything and kind of got me to begin to get on the right path was I, I ended up getting into trouble. Uh, and so after leaving leaving school, uh, I was home for a couple of years and I got kids and I got things that I want. And I started to sell drugs uh, and and selling drugs. It, it's a lot that come with that. Uh, and. Uh, I started carrying guns. Uh, I was in a gang uh, and I ended up catching uh, a a marijuana charge and I caught a gun charge Uh, and standing in front of that judge and him telling me that I was looking at a minimum. 
a 10 years because of the cases that I caught and because they were back to back. I caught a, I caught the gun charge first and then I caught a weed case. Uh, and that was what, what scared me. I'm, I'm, I've never been a punk, but I've never felt like I needed to prove uh, that I was tough or that I would, would, would represent for myself or I would fight for myself. I never felt like I needed to go to jail to prove that or go to prison to prove that. Uh, because my dad went there, my uncles went there, my little brother was in prison. Most, a lot of my friends were in prison, so I knew what that what 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 came with that, and I knew that I didn't want that because I I love my freedom. I love being able to walk to the refrigerator and open it up and get what I want. Uh, so I never wanted to put myself in a in a situation where uh, I could lose that. And once that judge uh, told me that, uh, it, it shook me, uh, and that was when I began. Uh, to get my life together because one of my uh, uh, the judge told me uh, for for my case here's what I'm gonna do uh, I had a mentor named Pat Magley uh, who has a non for profit called Heroes Campus a faith based organization uh, he came and represented me when I went to court and the judge asked me do you know who he is I'm like yeah that's Pat he was like you don't know who he is and so what I'm gonna do is here's what your your uh, uh, I can't even think of what you would call it. Here's what we're going to do for you as far as your case. I want you to report to him for a year. And so I had to report to Pat in this organization for a year. And I began to go to Bible studies. I was going there, but I would go there. I would play. And when he would begin to talk to God personally to me, I would run from him because I'm like, this stuff is making me feel a certain type of way. Like I got a tingle. I'm like, I don't know. And at the time, I like riding shotgun with the devil. I was not, I like being irresponsible with my life. I didn't want to be responsible and accountable for my decisions and actions. And what he was talking about was going to force me to be responsible and accountable for what I was doing. And so I would run from him. But when I caught this case, I couldn't run because it was a part of, it was a part of the conditions uh, that they would uh, drop the charges uh, if I was able to complete this. Uh, but it was the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. Uh, because one, it introduced me to God. I knew my grandmother would make me go at an early age, but it was it was to go eat. It was for fun and games. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, and so at this point in my life now, I'm a teenager. Uh, I'm a young adult. And now, you know, I understand what he's talking about. And it's starting to make sense to me. Uh, and I ultimately ended up becoming a volunteer staff. I was a program director. And this man, I call him dad uh, because uh, when my father couldn't be there, uh, he was a gap filler and he stood in the gap until uh, my dad came back home. Uh, and so uh, I knew that uh, if he could do that, I could do that. And so uh, that was where it changed for me and where my life began to kind of uh, gradually uh, take, take, take a turn for the best. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, you've written an interesting line. I mean, you've, you've written a lot, of course, and there's one, thing in particular that stands out to me, because it sounds like you're kind of growing up, you're a product of your surroundings, but you do write here. And I quote, you said, I never missed the opportunity to stress that your demographics don't determine your destiny. Hmm. How did you lift yourself up? You know, because it sounds like you were hanging out with the wrong crowd. Basically, you were influenced by the wrong people. You started going down the wrong path and that's kind of your demographics. Yeah. But you didn't let that determine your destiny. Ultimately, you, as I say, you know, you, you got, you, you dropped out of school or you were kicked out of, of school three times. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 
How many how so, many basketball teams did you get kicked off of? Oh wow! Uh, to be honest, Ball State is the only team. Okay. That, well, I know I, you had I know you had an opportunity. You know, injuries kind of derailed your career as well. Yeah, professionally, yeah. it was it was injury. Uh, yeah. But as, as far as other teams, I, I I've never been kicked off a team, and I think that I learned from from those experiences in Ball State that after that that I would never let that happen because I truly. Uh, I still love basketball uh, with all my heart uh, today at 49. Uh, and I knew that it would kill me to not be able to, to do what I love and, and be a part of it. And, and at some point you, you can't say that this is what I love and this is what I want. And this is important to me. And you're not willing to sacrifice to do everything, not something, everything uh, that it takes to stay on the team. And so I think that Ball State, uh, those, those two or three times out of my four years, of being removed from the team, uh, it taught me a lot uh, and, and it helped uh, kind of frame how I look at being a part of a team, whether that's my job or whether that's playing on a team. Uh, I, I know if I commit to it, I want to be there from start to finish. And, and, and that sometimes requires you to sacrifice uh, and, and do some things that you wouldn't necessarily want to do. Uh, okay. All right. No, which, which leads me to a, an interesting question. I think, you know, the determination that you had and the perseverance, you want to do something from start to finish. How old were you when you finally got your college diploma? 46. Okay. All right. So three years ago. So yeah. you started college at, you know, a typical age, right? 18, yeah. 19. And what was the motivating factor uh, you know, once you're away from school, it's hard to go back. Yes, um, it is. You know, yeah. You've been away for so long. You've, you've, you know, sort of started to build your life. You've had a family, you know, you're, you're working. What made you go back to school and get your college degree in your forties? Uh, it's a few things. Uh, one, you, you talked about uh, something that I wrote about your, your, your demographics don't determine uh, your destiny. Right. Uh, I was brought up and I was made to believe that you're a product of your environment. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I learned was you're not a product of your environment. Your environment can have some implications on your destiny, but you're a product of who you look up to. I stayed in the same neighborhood where the, 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 the drugs, the gangs and all of that, but it was who I was looking up to that allowed me to do those things. Uh, but once I picked up a basketball, I still lived in the same neighborhood. My, I didn't change my demographics. I still stayed in the same neighborhood. Uh, the gangs were still there. The drugs were still there. But it was when I shifted who I was looking up to. So now it's the guys in the neighborhood who were great basketball players. It's Michael Jordan. It's Larry Bird. It's Magic Johnson. It's Dr. J. I just shifted who I looked up to. And that's what allowed me uh, to, to then get the determination because now people are telling me, hey, you know you can go to college? And I'm like, what? Are you serious? Me? Do you know who I am? Do you know where I come from? Do you know what my life looks like right now? And they're like, yeah, you can go, but you got to keep working. And so for me, it was proving people wrong, uh, proving people that, that said that uh, most young boys, black boys who grow up without their father uh, go to prison or, you know, have these horrible lives. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I'm going to prove uh, sometimes at one point in my life, it was, I'm going to prove my parents wrong. Uh, you know, when, when they, and it's not their fault because they didn't get it. Now that I'm an adult and we have those deep conversations, 
my parents couldn't give me what wasn't given to them. And so while I was bitter and angry at them about some things that I felt like they didn't do for me or they didn't give me, it was of no fault of their own. They didn't know how to parent it. They didn't know, you know, what to do. Uh, but I use that as fuel for me as well. So I'm going to prove my parents wrong. I'm going to show my parents that even without y'all or even without what y'all didn't give me or uh, what y'all didn't provide for me, I'm still going to make this happen. Uh, and I just, it just became a driving force for me. I love, I don't like when people say it, but I love it because it, it, it takes my determination and motivation to another level when people tell me what I can't do. Okay. Um, you know, you've had the opportunity to speak to uh, youths uh, and people who have had a similar upbringing uh, mm -hmm. and to be the motivator. Where did the name, where did your nickname, your moniker, Mr. Me Too, come from? Uh, I've, I've, so in my travels, uh, I've, I had to find once basketball got taken away from me uh, when I broke my kneecap in, in 1999. Uh, I was struggling. Man. I was super depressed because uh, for me, basketball was everything. I put everything in the basketball basket. And now all 12 of my eggs are cracked. What am I going to do? I didn't. Well, I, I picked a degree while I was at Ball State. My mindset wasn't that's the job that I'm going to do. That's what I want to do, you know, once basketball is over. And so I had to do some soul searching. Uh, and, and, and as I'm in this depressed state, uh, once again, I have children now. I have a family that I need to take care of. Uh, what am I going to do? What is it that I could do? Uh, what skills do I have that I could make money or I could earn a living? And I call my academic advisor from, from Ball State, who I affectionately call her mom, uh, Linda Hall, uh, who we built a, a great relationship uh, while I was at Ball State. And we still are in communication to this day uh, because of that relationship. But I asked her, I'm like, mom, I'm struggling. I can't play basketball anymore. I don't know what to do. Uh, my family is dependent on me, my wife, my kids. What am I going to do? And I'm like, what? What is it that you would say? You know me. You know what what you know what what brought me joy. What would you think would be a career that I could get into that would bring me the same joy as basketball? And she said working with young people. And she brought up a time uh, I was in uh, secondary ed uh, my sophomore year at Ball State, uh, and I was working with kids who had uh, motor skill or physical disabilities. Uh, and I invited the kids to a camp and I had to come up with activities for a, a kid who has spina bifida. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's a, a it's a it's a spinal injury. Uh, and I had to work, help him work on his motor skills. And she told me, she said, do you remember uh, they put a picture in the Muncie Star and your smile was the brightest I've ever seen it. Anytime you were around kids, you had a bounce in your step. And, and your smile was always bright. And I'm like, I don't remember that. And she sent me the article and I saw it and I'm like, wow. Uh, and, she, and once she told me that, I, I, I went and applied for a job working with a mental health organization with adolescent teens. And I haven't looked back. So I, I don't feel like it's a job. It's a calling for me now. And I wake up every day to answer the call. Hmm. And through all of this, all of your experience, um, you've written about that in your book. And uh, that is the impact of influence. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. How long ago did you write the book? 
Oh, man, it's been, I think we had had everything uh, turned in to chip uh, in, de, in December of, of 20, 2020, maybe January 2021. Okay. And we, we launched the book uh, on uh, March, March 29th. Uh, no, March 27th, uh, 2021 was when we launched the book. Oh, just earlier this year. Yep. Okay. And how are sales? How's it doing? Uh, it's doing well. Uh, it's Amazon number one bestseller. Uh, the thing about this book and the thing that I love about Chip, uh, I didn't know a lot about writing, uh, or having a book. Chip had already written maybe three or four books. So he knew about the process, but I didn't know about the collaborative Thing. And so while Chip is the main author, uh, he brought all of us together. Uh, man, this dude is such a phenomenal uh, dude. Uh, and, and I love him. Uh, he, he's a brother from another mother. Uh, Chip created an opportunity for each one of us, uh, all 16 of us, to, to order books at a very low price uh, from him uh, and then create our own link uh, through Square so that we could sell books personally, because uh, otherwise all of the proceeds would, would go to him because he's the main author. Uh, so if anyone goes on Amazon and orders the book, uh, Chip would get that uh, uh, money because he created the account you know, with Amazon as Amazon are, are selling the books. But I think that uh, for me, what, what, what uh, I thought was, was pretty cool was that he said, uh, no, I want you guys to be able to eat off of this as well, because what you have to say is important. And I don't want to be the only one who benefits from this. And so uh, I've heard other people talk about collaborative books. And they said that uh, the person that they work with didn't create that opportunity for them. So I thought that that was pretty cool that Chip did that for us. And so uh, I've been able to sell uh, quite a few books uh, on my own. I'm actually uh, working with someone now to create a PowerPoint about my chapter uh, in the book. Uh, so uh, I'm going to, you know, utilize the book and continue to utilize the book uh, to work, uh, you know, with colleges or sports teams uh, to kind of talk them through my journey, but also tie in, you know, some activities uh, around uh, how you, whatever it is that you're going through or that you may go through, uh, how you can get through that and, and utilizing, you know, my story uh, along with that. What is the message that you want people to take away of your story in the book? What, what do you want? What do you hope that they understand and, and resonates with them? Two things. Uh, first thing is, uh, and it's the title of my chapter. Don't let your past determine your future. Hmm. Uh, I think that you've heard some of the things that I've gone through and done. Uh, there's so many more, uh, but had I allowed the things that I did that, that weren't, uh, so good or weren't so nice or things that people wouldn't approve of. If I'd allow uh, those things to, to determine uh, who I am or, 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 or who I could become, uh, I wouldn't be on this show with you. I wouldn't be a co-author in that book. Uh, a lot of times uh, the things that we do, uh, people allow those things to become who they are. And uh, I, I had a, a older guy tell me, uh, and he had did some time in the penitentiary and he told me, he said, man, one thing I had to learn when I was locked up, man, the things that I did uh, uh, are not who I am. Uh, the worst thing that you can do is not the greatest thing that you could become. And so uh, I, I live by that. 
uh, and that's allowed me to make some mistakes and pick myself off and dust dust myself off and, and keep striving and keep taking steps forward. And then the second thing, it, it's about being resilient. Uh, I've been knocked down many times in my life. Uh, and for a long time, I believed that being resilient was the ability to bounce back. Uh, but I redefined that a few years ago. Uh, I was going through a training uh, for adverse childhood experiences, uh, and I've suffered from that. And I didn't even know until I went through this training. There's things that happen to us uh, in life, even in our adult lives, that are traumatic events that can oftentimes paralyze us or keep us stuck in a place. And, and so I've been able to deal with those things. But what I know about me is my superpower isn't the ability to bounce back. It's the ability to bounce forward. And so I redefine what resiliency is. And resiliency for me is not to bounce back, it's to bounce forward. Because if if I only bounce back, then I bounce back to the thing that knocked me back down. So how do I ever get past it? Mm, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Uh, you know, we just use bounce back as one of those terms that is everyday. Um, it's easy. It's easy. Yeah. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we don't think about bouncing past that point. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it knocked us back. And so we're trying to bounce back to where we were, but that doesn't help us necessarily. We have to get past it. Uh, tell me something. Where did that slogan, I've been there, I've done that. Now let me get uh, help you get hyped. Where did that come from? And, and explain about hyped, H-Y-P-E-D. Uh, and it, it, it came from, uh, my, look, I'm doing a lot of name dropping today, so I That's can't fine. wait to get That's this fine. recording. But okay. uh, I was working for a program uh, back in South Bend called JAG. Uh, it stands for Jobs for America's Graduates. Uh, and uh, uh, my cousin, uh, who was all, also a colleague, uh, we were, were going around and we were talking about the program and, and what, it, what it is. It's an employability skills, character building, leadership development program. And we uh, had the privilege of presenting at Notre Dame University, and they wanted us to talk uh, to, uh, we probably talked to maybe 75, 100 students about, uh, about college and career readiness. And so we're sitting around, we're trying to think about, you know, what would be a catchy, you know, thing. And, and so we came up with Hype, and Hype is helping you pursue excellence daily. And so that's what that is. And we created that. We created a PowerPoint. We had some music to it. We had some activities. Uh, we used social media. So we had kids who were during this, during this training. Uh, we had them on Twitter uh, posting their answers. So we made it a, a very engaging uh, a presentation. Uh, but uh, when I came up with it, I was just sitting around and I'm like, man, like, we, man, we need to get these kids hyped. He was like, yeah, he went and found a song that had hyped in it. And so we played that song uh, and it was very inactive, but my wheels started turning. How can I turn hyped into an acronym? And then that's what God dropped in my spirit and helping you pursue excellence daily. I think that anybody uh, could benefit from having some tools or having some tips on, on how to do that. Because life, life, what I know about life is life is hard and life wasn't meant to do it alone. And so you have to have a, a crew, you have to have a village, uh, a support system uh, to help, you know, guide you, to help support you, to help correct you, to help lift you up, challenge you. Uh, and so that's what uh, helping you pursue excellence daily is all about. Okay. So 
Um, tell us what you're working on now and, and, and uh, what's coming up for you in the future. I think you said you got another book in the works. Is that right? Yes, I do. Uh, I think I talked about it uh, on my previous uh, show when I was with you guys. Uh, but it's called Dream Another Dream. Uh, he gave you more than one. And when I say he, I'm talking about God. I think oftentimes we get uh, we get laser focus, uh, which is not a bad thing, but we get tunnel vision uh, on that one thing that we may be really, really good at. Uh, and I did that with basketball, but I had dreams of doing other things and I kind of let those things fall to the wayside. And I know that God gave me those dreams and gave me those things because those were things that uh, I should have done or that I should do. Uh, and uh, having my injury, uh, basketball being taken away from me and then doing the youth work and the other things that I do has taught me that while he gave me that dream, he also gave me another dream. Uh, and uh, I want people to know that it may not have worked out there, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something else. I know that uh, you had a dream of being a piano player or being a teacher or whatever it was, uh, that one dream that didn't work out for you wasn't the only dream that you had. And you can't get hung up on that. Uh, take that, take the things that you learn uh, in chasing that dream and allow those things uh, to help you, uh, you know, go over to your, your next dream. And so I'm hoping, uh, my goal is to have that done uh, June 15th, 2022. I turned 50 on that day. And so that, that my goal is to make that be uh, a birthday gift to myself as well as to, you know, uh, the people who I know and love, who I know could benefit from this book. Hmm. My goodness. Well, he is Jamal, Mr. Me Too Sylvester. And uh, look him up on the internet. He's got quite a presence. He's written a book. He's got another one coming out, hopefully in the middle part of next year. His history is checkered, but he learned a great deal from that. And he is on the best path. Do you think you are the best version of yourself right now? Yes, I am. Yes, mm. I am. Okay. And I think I I'm the best version of myself today. I don't know what tomorrow going to look like. Okay. That, that, that was kind of, I was on my way there. Do you, think yeah. it's, do you think it can get better too? Oh, absolutely. I want to get better. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Uh, I think a lot of my struggles have, have come out of complacency because you can get to a place where everything's smooth, everything looks good. You may be doing better than those around you, but it doesn't mean that there's not another level. And so I'm always striving to get to the next level. And I know that there's another level. And so for me, every day that I wake up, I'm like, what, what's next? Uh, what's next? I'm always trying to get to the next, uh, the next thing, the next workshop, the next opportunity, the next day, uh, the next week, the next year. I'm always looking to get to the next. And so uh, I think that if you wake up with that mentality or you live life with that mentality, I also have a saying that I live my legacy today so I can leave one tomorrow. Hmm. That is pretty profound right there. And that is a good place to, uh, to conclude our show today. Hey, thanks again for coming back. You know, we're going to follow your progress. Uh, we're going to stay in touch with you. You've got such a great history and so much information to pass on and knowledge. You're working with the youth groups right now. Uh, you do a lot of uh, um, public speaking. You're, uh, you've got your writing. You're a busy man. Yes, I am. But my hope is to come to Westcliff, like that's my my goal. My, my goal is to get on campus and get in front of the students. Uh, and so uh, that's why I'm gonna put that in the atmosphere. My, my grandmother told me to name it and claim it. And so I'm gonna put it in the atmosphere that uh, 
hopefully sometime here in the near future, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be on, on the campus and I'll be able to meet you personally and Brandon uh, and, and get in front of some students uh, so that we could, we could create a moment and create a memory uh, on be, campus. That would be outstanding. And you know what? Our uh, Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris, will probably be able to make that work. So uh, we'll certainly be in touch with him and uh, put that out there. Maybe we right. can get you out to California and enjoy some of the sunny Southern California weather that we have here. What's it like there right now in terms of weather? I imagine it's a little bit chilly. Yeah, it's cold. And okay. you would think that I've been I've been doing this for 49 years that I would be used to it, but I, I'm still not used to it. But I, I love it. Uh, it's, it's home. Uh, it's a part of, of Indiana. It's a part of what, what comes with it. And, and for me also, it's a part of my story, you know, fighting through that cold weather and getting up, you know, and when the car don't want to crank and shoveling that stuff, it's just, it just helped build character. Uh, and, and it just continues to, to grow me uh, and develop me and, uh, and help me continue to, to, to grow and, and, and be the, the best version of myself. Uh, so I, I love it. Uh, while I don't like it, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Words to live by. Words to live by. Jamal, thanks again for joining us. And uh, we're going to stay in touch, follow your progress. And uh, you never know, maybe we can get you back on another time. How's that? Man, I look forward to it. Uh, and don't forget to drop the, the link with the show uh, so that if people want to get the book, if they've been touched or, or they feel like they want to hear more, uh, get the book. Not only just my story, it's 16 other men uh, here who have phenomenal stories to share about the impact of influence. Uh, and I think that you would love it. Mm, okay, we can certainly do that. Thanks Thank again, Jamal, Thank Mr. Me Too, Sylvester. We wish you well. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, I would like to thank my guest host, our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yay, yay. And the gentleman who makes us sound good each and every time we do podcasts, that is Brandon Peterson, our sound engineer. Beep, 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 beep. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you download your podcast and please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out about Westcliff Athletics and we thank you for your support. And keep an eye out for the next podcast. All right, all right, all right.